Episode 29, Jaws, 1975 Steven Spielberg film, and Understanding Anxiety. Billy, what are people going to learn today? Yeah, I think how it's one of the most common um, mental health issues in childhood, adolescence and adults, anxiety. And it's really important that we accurately identify these kids. um, And that's the first step in terms of how we're going to make sure that they do better. Um, And yeah, anxiety is a really normal part of life. So I think it's really important that all of us understand it a bit better. And um, yeah, it's amazing to think about it in the context of yeah how Jaws is just this movie that caused collective anxiety in the community and even when you watch it again or as listeners will hear, you just listen to the clip and it can provoke some of those oh, things that are going on for our kids. It sure does. Clip will be up on the Instagram for you to go and watch and listen to. Tell you what else is also amazing? Our decision to put HD cameras a little bit closer to our heads yes, early on a Saturday morning. Yes, definitely. I made the mistake of... Um, <laughs> I'm a bit anxious about what I've looked like this whole episode. So we were joking before about getting some makeup in. So people to make us look a bit yeah. more youthful. A Probably bit needed, tired. Them, needed them 29 <laughs> episodes ago. And now I can't stop looking down the barrel at the camera. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to regret that. Sort of chins out this week. Just trying to like... Yeah, avoid the doubles. Yeah, definitely. But no, it's um. Hopefully, that's more helpful for a lot of the stuff we're trying to promote the the EPA and the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks very much, guys. Enjoy the episode. Remember, ask questions via Pop Culture Parenting on Instagram or Facebook or via the website popcultureparenting.com or hit us up via Gmail popcultureparenting at gmail.com. Enjoy. Hi. I'm Billy, a developmental paediatrician. And I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. Daddy, what does he do? Just use your best judgment. We trust you. Good morning, Dr. Billy Garvey. How are you? I'm good, Nick. How are you? Mate, I'm well. Any morning spent with you is a great morning in my book. <laughs> yeah, we've been making up for lost time in the last few days. So. We've been making lost time, making up for lost time in the last 24 hours. <laughs> yes. We yeah. had many chats on the phone yesterday and we ended up having dinner together. Yes, it was beautiful, getting the kids together and um, yeah, sharing the uh, the joys. <laughs> yeah, bit, a bit of um, yeah controlled environment. Uh, pizza all over my living room was the end result. <laughs> yeah, it was good fun though. It was great fun. And then, um, yeah, you actually did a... A late watch of the movie, which we'll get to, obviously. Yeah, we did do a late watch. We are here just to discuss uh, Jaws and Understanding Anxiety. I can't believe you made me watch Jaws after I refused (laughs) to watch it for 30 years again. Yeah, it was a tough call because there's. I think we're going to do a lot of episodes about anxiety. This one's just going to be about understanding anxiety, but we're going to do ones about different ways we can approach anxiety, where the evidence is for treating it, how parents can best support kids who... struggling with it and we'll use heaps of different movies but it was a tough one to pick but we'll um we'll go into why that was when we get to that bit tremendous film but we'll get to it um but i actually think i know a bit of your winslow for the week but how about you tell me where your winslows and griswolds are sitting this week what do you want to kick off with um give me the griswold hey don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath she'll take it out on me Lay it on me. So, yeah, I, I don't think Evie at 14 months of age is uh, advanced enough to be listening to the podcast. <laughs> but ever since I did that bloody fussy episode, fussy eating episode, she now is uh, refusing to eat anything that's put in front of her. That's just a true dose of karma. You just put the moz on yourself. <laughs> I totally did. It's hard to dis- <laughs> I never like to condescend or do anything rude, but I'm always like, yeah, it can change, mate. It can yeah, change. Yeah, I know. She was such a good eater. Tectonic plates. And I actually witnessed her the other night before I came out to record with you. I sat down with Annalise as she was trying to feed Evie some gnocchi. I was like, oh, <laughs> this has evolved. Yeah, I know. I counted the other day. I gave her seven different options. And I watched seven things get thrown across the kitchen. Mm. And the problem is I've made the mistake of like I thought it was quite funny at first. And so now she just stares at me while she does it and doesn't even have to, you know, her fine motor is so advanced, Nick, <laughs> that she doesn't even have to look at the food while she's throwing it. She just sees something. It doesn't matter if it's a raspberry, if it's, you know, whatever it is. 
it just gets hurled. My, I think my frustration is palpable in the episode on fussy eating when, you, <laughs> when you're giving me the advice. I'm like, I know, I know what you're saying. Okay, I'll provide more options, but can just, you don't need something here. I know. So maybe go, back, maybe go back and listen to that one. I know, I will. I will. I'll go back and have another listen to it. So no, I thought that was a pretty funny one. Um, but yeah, do you have a Griswold? I've got many Griswolds and I don't have to go far back in my week <laughs> to give you one. Okay. My Griswold was last night's pickup at daycare. Tried to do the right thing, get there early at 4.30. There wasn't a warm reception uh, when I arrived. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Kids can be frustrated. It's late in the week. It's Friday. So I totally get that. I think my response to it was not great after about five minutes because for the first few minutes I was dealing with what are you doing here? You're early. And then we sort of unpacked with the educator why there was a lot of frustration and it's because – they miss out on crackers, which come out at about five o'clock. They get all the, <laughs> the crackers, right? So the yeah, salt, okay. the rice crackers, and then they get uh, family grouping. So then my two girls get to hang out together. And I think the educators throughout the day, like you know, can, you know, just all right, family grouping coming up. You know, we're going to be good. Blah blah blah. And I cut all of that up by arriving early on a Friday, trying to pick my kids up. And I mean, early it was four thirty, yeah. and uh, and so I guess. That's fine. Kids react like that. But after a few minutes, I, it sort of it wore on me. And I was like, well, I've come to pick you up early and this is kind of what I'm copying. And I I had acted worst in the past, but I was by the end of it, I was like, yeah, okay, we're going. So it was a bit of a pick up and let's go sort of scenario, which I'm not proud of. So that, that is a Griswold, but... Uh, oh, I think it's fair enough to have oh, some hurt feelings about being trumped by a cracker. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't take that too personally. <laughs> a 99 cent pack of crackers, of uh, which yeah. they get about four. Yeah, you haven't seen me for eight hours, but sure. Oh, and you're like, I'll get them early and we'll go get dinner and it'll be fun. And then you get that reception and I react poorly. When really it's – when we unpacked it, it was – I get why they were frustrated. So, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe the 7 p.m. pickup is the answer. Well, that's the – I said, I was saying to make – to get through the situation, I was like, it's all right, hon, I'll – because the opening hours of my daycare are 7 till 7. I said, it's all right, hun, I'll pick you up at 7 on Monday. And she's like, yes, yes. I'm like, yep, 7 o'clock. I'm, I'm sure that won't blow up in my face when I get home at 7.30 with an unfed kid who's just had crackers. Yeah, yeah. No, so that's a tough one. But um, but what about your Winslow? You got a Winslow? Uh, I don't have a clear Winslow this week. Give the guy uh, some love? Yeah, give Carl some love. He's the purple. He's the, the purple. That's the one. I don't object to fun. I love fun. In fact, I'm the grand funk master of fun. I was going to have a crack at your Winslow this week, though, because I thought it was pretty good, and you're not going to talk about it, so I'm going to talk about it. Nice appearance last night on national radio for ABC. That was very nice, talking about your bread and butter, sleep and lack of it, and why kids don't do it. And I thought you did a really good job from what I've heard. I haven't heard the full edit yet, but I uh, I like the way you approached it. Um, I can't remember the presenter's show you were on. Yeah, um, ABC, uh, I think Weekend Evenings. Weekend Evenings, yeah. 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 So we might drop that. Yeah, we'll put it up on our Instagram stories for sure. But uh, I thought you were compelling as always, talking about something that – People keep coming to ask you the expert about, and that's sleeping and kids. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. I'm really lucky that I get asked to do that stuff occasionally. But um, yeah, the hardest thing about it was watching all of you drink wine on a Friday <laughs> night with pizza and uh, being the responsible one. I've so, I, I got to be honest, I hit it with a little bit more gusto than I usually do. I was like, oh, you can't drink. And, I noticed uh, you're all <laughs> frequently commenting about how nice the wine was. <laughs> so, but no, that's okay. So no, it was... Um, yeah, look, it was great. I mean, it's just opportunities to get helpful messages out to people. It's always yep. a bit tough because they're so quick. But, um, but yeah, it was really nice. So, Serene, who interviewed me, was great as well. Yep. She was just really putting the real-life perspective of how tough that can be, yep. especially with newborns. We, we have to do one on newborns. So, that's a kind of niche um, area of mine that I really enjoy. We, we run an unsettled babies clinic that just looks at kids in the first six months. So, that's, um, that's one we should definitely do and one that you've actually given me some really helpful advice about. Yeah, I, it's actually really worth listening to the uh, segment because Serene's lead-in is like a chilling tale yeah, yeah, yeah. of like, you finally get the baby down and then the head rises from the pillow and I'm like, oh, God, it's uh, yeah, it's really good. She, she has a really cool take on it. Yeah, which is quite funny that that was the lead-in because I often do this stuff um, 
pretty poorly planned and organised, sometimes with a vet. I, I did um, national radio once with like a vet in my arms when she was younger because <laughs> I just couldn't get her down and no one else could help me. And so I'm often doing these things off the cuff and Annalise was just before I went on the air, she's like, remember, stay upbeat. And, <laughs> and then that's the lead in. <laughs> so I was just like, cool, okay, i got to be upbeat about, you know, the 2am, can't get my baby to sleep. But, Such um, a good opportunity <laughs> to try and teach some new habits at 2am. Yeah, so hopefully like, it wasn't too many <laughs> listeners going, this guy. But shameless plug of the podcast. Yeah, good. Of more of that. More of that, people. More of that more often. <laughs> but you had a Winslow otherwise. You had two this week. Look at you go. Yes, yes. Well, isn't it funny how similar we are? Because I'm actually going to give you my Winslow. Oh, isn't this lovely? I know. Wow. Talk about because this is completely unplanned, just like every element of this podcast. <laughs> but um, what's 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 this? So this is me on the tram, and I've just finished clinic, and I've got mm. one of my fellows, highly trained, you know, great, mm. experienced clinician that. Um, as we were wrapping up talking about some of the kids that they wanted some advice and help with, mm. said, oh, I just need to tell you that um, I gave some great advice from your podcast. And I went, oh, <laughs> amazing. And in, because I was on the tram, I, ha- I wasn't speaking much, but in my mind it was like, I wonder which bit that I said <laughs> did they give to the family. But no, it was something Nick said. What did I say? So something that you said about kind of supporting kids around um, just some emotional stuff. So oh, okay. yeah, it was such a, it was so funny. It was like a lot of the advice you give, very practical and very realistic. And um, yeah, it was around emotional stuff and eating so, yep. and strategies that you'd found helpful. So I just thought that was quite funny. And I was very glad I was on the tram. Otherwise I would look like an idiot asking Oh, yeah, which bit of what I said. Yeah, I love that. I, just, I love that you're honest about the setup because that's the reality, right? Like 99% of this show is your your absolute expertise and occasionally I Bradbury a little bit of advice that someone uses. No, no way. You give amazing advice, but I have to be 100% honest that I was sure that it was going to be something that I'd said. So, Brilliant. So okay. It was really good. Winslow's all around. Look at us. Yeah. Jeez, that's never happened before, giving each other a Winslow. Yeah, so I guess to um, change the mood slightly, and we'll try and stay upbeat about this, but yeah, Jaws. Wow, what a film, 1975, Spielberg. Mm. Yeah, this is post-Jewel, I think, which is his first one. So this was – I'm not you, – you told me a lot of information this week about it, so I don't want to steal the thunder, but maybe cover off why it was such a big thing in cinema at the time. Yeah, so it was 1975. Um, there had been – this was like the first big summer blockbuster. Yeah. So knocked all of the box office records out of the park. And normally, you know, summer was not a period of movies because it was when everyone was out and they'd kind of dump movies there. But they did a lot of advertising pre the movie, a lot of TV segments and everything because what used to happen – so anyone who's like frustrated now at the moment of the climate of like Marvel movies and that's kind of dominating the box office, mm-hmm. you can actually blame Jaws because Jaws was the first time that they went, let's put it everywhere, let's do heaps of marketing and let's make heaps of cash. And it was that kind of high concept art of like it'll just be a really simple tagline and we're going to get heaps of people in there. And it moved the way that we see movies as how much money they can make. Like big production companies came on board realising how much money. And it was only, do you know what movie knocked this out two years later, if it's a clue? Star, something yeah, Star, Star Wars. Wars. Star Wars. So it dominated every box office and still sits in the top ten of takings if you adjust for inflation. Yeah, Jaws. I saw that it was at – I looked through the wiki and it was something – I think it cost less than nine million to make, and it made four hundred and seventy-two million. Yeah, and that's and that's forty-seven years ago through that period where it would have made its cash. It's obviously made a lot of money subsequently, but like that back then is big money. Yeah, really big money. So, and it's it's an amazing movie, and there's a lot we can talk about around the movie, but also related to anxiety. And it did. It conceptually changed how we see sharks and. Peter Benchley, who wrote the book uh, a couple of years earlier, um, and it was only, you know, the book had some pretty weird stuff in it that didn't make it into the movie, thankfully. But he really regretted kind of how he portrayed sharks and the impact. And in late in his life, he did a lot of work in conservation. But we did. We saw a big change in fear around going to the beach, going out and hunting sharks. Well, Well, just think about it. They launched the film in summer. Yeah, so about a shark a movie in a busy summer location, mm. and it's I, that's what I love about the film. Kind of when I look at it, 
in isolation. I'm like, oh, it's a shark movie, but it's amazing the pressures around the small town, needing the money, needing the tourism from New York City coming over and enjoying themselves. And it's like there's all this pressure and politics involved with it. It's quite like almost mature or like not just like this slasher horror type film. It's actually really interesting. No, definitely. And it did, it changed. And the other thing about it that's really amazing is, um, and you probably know this from Finding Nemo, but the shark's name was Bruce. Mm. They named it Bruce. I couldn't call it Jaws because it's the name of the movie. So the shark was Bruce, but they had so many mechanical problems that he, he actually went to John Williams and said, look, he's the composer, you know, award-winning composer. You know, he's the second most nominated person for Oscar nominations. Really? John Williams? Yeah. Do, who do you reckon's first? Who do you reckon's got the most nominations? Um... Quincy Jones, no. Who is of it? all time, sorry, any category, anything to do with movies, who's got the most nominations? It'd be someone in music because they seem to write forever. Well, yeah, it's a good guess. You're definitely right about number two, but number one is bigger than that. Um, Walt Disney. Ah, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so Walt Disney's got the most nominations. And, um, yes, yeah, slight side note, favourite Disney movie? You got a... Oh... I'm not well. Depends if you reclassify everything now that Disney owns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Say so any movie, but like classic Disney film, probably Lion King. Yeah, Lion, like King's Lion good. King. Yeah. What about I've, you? I have two categories. Um, one is Robin Hood, <laughs> so the old school. Remember Robin Hood, the old school one, where he's the fox. Yeah, the music at the start, oh, amazing movie. The, the music at the start is sensational. I still have that on a playlist somewhere. Yeah, is it Little John and Robin walking through the forest, laughing yeah. back and forth? What the other one will say. Yeah, no, but on oh, something I can't remember it now. Put in the spot here. Go sorry, what's your sorry. Other, what's, your other, what's your other sub sub cross category? Mulan in modern day. I don't know if you showed the girls. They're a bit young. Nah, too young. Yeah, Mulan is such a beautiful story. It's we'll we'll do it on the pod because Mulan is just great about this young girl and having to kind of yeah. So phenomenal movie. Anyway, John Williams won uh, five Oscars. Yep. This was his second one. Mm-hmm. I probably no one would know. I certainly wouldn't know if I read about it. I know the name. His yeah. first was Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. Can you give me any of the other three movies? Star Wars. Yes, bang. Yeah, he wrote, I knew that because, well, how do I know that? We haven't done Star Wars, but I looked at that recently for some reason. I went down a rabbit hole of composers. Yep, so that's three and you've got them in order. It's Fiddler on the Roof, Jaws, Star Wars. What's the fourth and fifth movies? And we've actually done one of them on a pod. Hook. No, good guess. Damn it. E.T. E.T., of course. So can I tell you why I went down this rabbit hole just quickly? Mm. Subway to your sub-segment to your thing. Um, ABC Australia uh, recently did the countdown of top 100 soundtracks. movie song soundtracks yeah, yeah. and he's featured heavily because I was looking at the Interstellar guy because um, I love Interstellar music. I just get yeah, swept phenomenal. up in it. Yeah, and, and then go through and then you see these these repeat names and the top teams go boom, 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 boom. So anyway, yeah. found it fascinating. So and the fifth? Uh, Schindler's List. Ah, yeah, you know, I've never seen it. Really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's heartbreaking. And there's this yeah. famous quote that Spielberg said to because they obviously did a lot of yep. movies together and had a partnership. But um, yeah, John Williams said, I'm not good enough. After he saw the cut of Schindler's List, he said, it's too good a movie. It's too powerful. I'm not good enough. You need someone better. And um, Spielberg famously said, yeah, I know, but they're all dead. And so he um, chose John Williams to do it. So, yeah, phenomenal. The amazing thing about Jaws and anxiety is what John Williams does because Bruce was malfunctioning so much. So Bruce is the shark. Yeah, the mechanical shark was malfunctioning so much that he said, you actually, what we need to do is suggest the shark. And that's what we're going to talk about with anxiety. So you actually don't see the shark much. Which is what makes it so bad. Yeah. So a lot, yeah, a lot of the fear is from that. And I reckon that's that 47 years ago, that's the case of that film. I noticed that in season four of Stranger Things this year, they don't show Vecna for mm. ages. You yeah. don't actually see, and it's the like, what is it? Like, it's horrible. And everyone's asked me, like, did you find it scary? It's like, yeah, the first three episodes I found really scary. Because once you see the enemy or the bad guy, it sort of demystifies. It's the unknowing, which is... Oh. Yeah, which is such a beautiful segue into anxiety. So mm. we will, we'll talk... <clears throat> Tell me we'll about see it. the clip and we'll go back to Jaws a little bit when we hear that and why it's done that. But, yeah, movie caused collective anxiety about sharks. Mm. When you think about it, we'll talk a lot about it, but there's, there's three different ways you can become anxious about something, whether yep. it's like a shark or a dog. You know, a lot of kids are scared of dogs. 
And the way that you can categorize those things is you, you've either had a negative experience with mm-hmm. it. So you've had an experience, like say the dog, the dog bites you and then you're afraid of dogs. Sure. And you've got anxiety anytime you see a yes. dog. The dog does something that is misinterpreted as something that you should be fearful of. So the dog's really overtly playful or, you know, is too excited or something like this. And the child misinterprets that of being afraid of them. Or the child is told you should be afraid of dogs or dogs are scary or you need to be concerned around dogs. So those three different ways are the ways that kids can establish a fear or anxiety around something. Is that a direct experience that is justified in causing that kind of fear, worry around it? They misinterpret an experience as being something they should be increasingly increasingly moving forward fearful of. We see that a lot with kind of social phobias or separation anxieties and things like that. You know, my friends will make fun of me. They were laughing at me, that misinterpretation. Or you need to be careful. You need to be really worried about when, you know, you're crossing the road. Or when you go out, be really, you know, nervous because, you know, anything could happen. And what happens in a lot of kids is that kind of understandable parent behavior where you kind of like be careful. That overly cautious parenting and narrative can sometimes cause anxiety in children to develop, especially when it's combined with a sense of temper. How do you classify that last one? What do you call it? As in, like you you sort of went through the first two, it's like experienced. Yeah. The other one is misinterpreted. Mm. The third one, how would you kind of coin it? Yeah, it's just kind of being informed or hearing a narrative. So you don't actually see a dog. Informed, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't see the dog. You never see the shark. You've had no experience with sharks. But because you've watched Jaws, because you're hearing all this stuff, you're really nervous about going for a swim. Yep. You've never seen a shark. Never had an interaction with them. Informed, yeah, I think that's it. And you you, you, you surf a lot. I, I've surfed a little bit, never been out with a shark. I've been out with dolphins and seals go past me and been terrified mm. because I've thought it was a shark. But that's a good example of like the sharks out there all the time that just don't care about us. Yep. So, and you know, everyone knows you're more likely to have an accident on the way to the beach than an accident with the shark and all that kind of stuff in <laughs> the car. Mm. But there is this anxiety that we have that's unjustified around that. And some people it impacts them so much that it impacts their function where they can't swim at the beach. Mm. So, you know, it's it's this really interesting thing. And I started learning about this a long time ago and I reckon this, this guy might have been the first source of me being interested in mental health. I was thinking about this when I was thinking about what I wanted to say in this episode. This um, psychiatrist called Basil Bunting. And he was... Um, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. You- I know, it's always guys like this. But <laughs> he, um, he had this amazing way of talking about anxiety and I don't know if I've – I'm trying to think I've talked about this a lot, but I don't know if I've mentioned it on the pod, but he um, – it's good to address anyway. He talked about like how it actually is an important physiological function, something that happens in our brain and our body. I can see why it's of important. being anxious. Yep. Yeah, so it, it is a way that we have – and a lot of people would say that one of the reasons that evolutionary we have built anxiety into how we behave was because it was we needed to. We needed to have a lot of anxiety. And what Basil used to talk about is that we would be kind of walking, say, through the jungle and, you know, be walking through and you'd be, like, relaxed and you're breathing calmly and your muscles are relaxed and your kind of eyes are kind of pinpoint looking around and just taking in all of your environment and your breathing's nice and shallow. And then what happens is you see, you know, say you see a tiger because you're in the jungle. You see a tiger and all of a sudden tension all your body becomes tense, your breathing becomes really fast, your heart starts racing, all adrenaline starts running through your body, your eyes dilate, you look for the horizon and you need to get out of there. Now what happens, that that is the physiological reason behind anxiety, justified or not. There is a shark in the water, that's what happens. I'm so nervous about a shark or a dog or a tiger, my body does that. And that kicks in involuntarily. We don't have some decision that we make because we need it to kick in involuntarily. When we see the tiger, we need our body to fire and go, be anxious, get ready to run. Mm -hmm. This is really important. I can't wait for you to decide about this. It can't be a process. You need to kick into it. The problem is it's really hard to see that happening for kids, what's going on underneath in that anxiety. And on the other side of what's going on in the body, we understand what's going on in their emotions and their behaviours. And what that is, is fears and worries. And that's the emotion that's underneath the behavior. And the behaviors are huge. There's such a variation. It's not, kids will very rarely come to us in clinic 
with, oh, I would really like some help with Samantha because she said she's anxious. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No. It's especially younger years. Yep. It's not a physical ailment, although it has like that kind of physical fear that it brings in you, but you, it's hard to identify. Totally get that. Yeah, definitely. So there's like a huge spectrum of ways that kids will come and show us that anxiety is going on. What do some of them look like? So the most common one that you'll see um, is that kids will withdraw and they'll kind of internalise and they'll kind of shut down a bit. And, you know, we can see this in kids of all ages and we actually see it, um, you know, there's lots of different reasons that we can pick kids and understanding who are the kids that are a bit of an increased risk of, um, of anxiety in their life course. When they're little bubs, they're often kind of ones that are a, a little bit heightened in terms of their, you know, responsiveness to kind of what what's going on, you know, new things, new people, a bit cautious. And then when they become a little bit older, we see what's called behavioural inhibition. So they kind of are nervous about things and hesitant. Mm-hmm. And that's um, a really, that's a temperament style, which doesn't mean the child's going to have anxiety but means it's really important with those kids how we parent them around some of those tendencies to withdraw and inhibit their behaviour is important because as parents, sometimes we can be overprotective of those kids and be like, I'm going to wrap them in cotton wool and I'm going to make sure you don't experience any things that might make you shut down and it almost reinforces that behaviour and the child learns yeah, I am anxious about going outside. I'm anxious about being in someone else's arms. I'm anxious about being left without my parent. It's so hard in parenting. <clears throat> so hard. It's so hard with everything in parenting though. Like, <clears throat> sorry, that's almost like it's kind of the opposite of rewarding. Like I, mm-hmm. I've learned not to be like, I'll give you ice cream if you have your carrots because you're like, well, carrots are then the bad thing. Yeah. It's like you're saying, well, you don't have to do whatever makes you anxious or go near it because that's the bad thing and then it just makes it worse, makes everything else worse. So it's, what do you reckon you do? Well, you don't throw them in to see if they can swim because that's a really bad way of doing it. Um, I'm yep, thinking, so you got you don't throw them in to swim? Yeah. You don't say, don't worry, you'll never swim. I'll make sure you never have to go anywhere near water because you're afraid of it. Yeah, so you find the balance. So yep. what I think back to, actually thinking back to um, the episode with, sorry, slight tangent back to kevin in parenthood we kind of go in the kids struggling you see they're struggling um no idea what i'm doing here billy it's great see how they're struggling and then try and support them back into the environment if it's safe enough for them to be in that's causing the anxiety and then just sort of let them know you're there a bit and then then extract yourself if and when and how slowly yeah because like being successful in it is obviously really important um to get over the hump and it could just be a hump or it could be something that's worse and mm. longer. Like, <clears throat> yeah, I've seen it with my kids and dogs. Um, for whatever reasons, just can't one of them can't handle it. And so now it's a it's a long road back. Um, yeah. I don't really quite know. So I'm <laughs> so keen to learn a little bit more today. Definitely, yeah. And, you know, we think about those three categories, just to jump back to what we were saying before, mm. is, you know, Freddie's fear is not because she's had a negative experience with a dog and it's no. not because you have a negative narrative around a dog. It's that she's probably misinterpreted dogs being excited yep. and jumping up and all that stuff yep. as something. Because a lot of anxiety is about a child lacking or an adolescent lacking control and predictability yep. and saying, this is an environment I'm fearful in. I don't have control over when the dog jumps up at me. I don't have control about what's going in, on in there. And so when I see it or hear about it, I all those physiological things we were talking about start firing and going like hearts racing, deep breathing, eyes widening, muscles tensing. And, you know, you see that in Freddie when, when my pup's around her. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All dogs <clears throat> will trigger that big or small, um, excited or not. Uh, she just does – one day it just started to happen. I must have missed something, but I don't remember what happened, but it just – well, no, happened. it's actually important, especially families listening out there that have got kids that have anxiety, is not that you didn't miss, you didn't miss something. You oh, didn't, okay. It wasn't a mistake you made. It's mm-hmm. just that it's a part of her temperament that's sensitive, which is one of the beautiful things about her. Ah, uh, gotcha. But now, like you've said, that pathway back for her is not bad luck, here's 10 dogs, you know, <laughs> just sort it out, or we're never going to see a dog, dog again. again. We're never going to talk about dogs or anything like that. And so... It's that middle road that you, as you said, it's a long road, but it's also one you do gently and you provide her, and I've seen you do it, you provide her as much support as she needs to be okay in that environment and then over time she'll become more confident and I've seen that in Freddie already. I've already seen that start to pay yeah, off. Yeah, I've got to be honest, I've got to be, I'm a bit guilty of leaning towards the 
don't put them nearer or, hey, can you put your dog outside or, hey, if I'm in a mate's place or something. It's just like, because uh, it's all, also a lot to deal with at the time. But I realise yeah. that that's what we've got to do. Tell you what's actually made a massive difference. Less mind modelling towards dogs to be like, oh, look, the dog's lovely. Because that's what I typically do. Dog comes up, I'm like, dogs are great 99% of the time. Look, dog's great. It's actually been Veronica, yeah. so my smaller daughter, who goes up and plays with the dog, no dramas. And then my older daughter sees my small kid doing it and it's like, oh, I can see the kid. It's not coming from you, Dad. I can see the modelling from your little sister. And that seems to make a lot of difference. So some days we'll be at a cafe and she'll go up and pat a dog. And then obviously, obviously you've seen her over here sometimes where she's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because you're, you know, 20 foot tall and you're like invincible exactly. for her. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you, yeah. it's hard for you to show her and she can't go, oh, well, daddy's, you know, as big as a house and he's not afraid of dogs. So Strongest I'd, man in the world apparently. Yeah, exactly. Best looking, <laughs> like smartest. She doesn't say that, but I'm sure if she could articulate it, she probably would. <laughs> yeah. So no, it's it's an interesting one. And yeah, I guess that's just one way that kids show us. The other really important way to recognise is that a lot of kids that are having angry outbursts are actually anxious. Yeah. Yep. I see heaps of kids in clinic that people come to me and say like, oh, you know, they're just so hyperactive or so aggressive. Like what's going on? They need to sort it out. And almost the first thing my mind goes to is, is that kid anxious? Yeah. And especially in classrooms, especially like in really overwhelming situations, anxiety is underneath a lot of our behaviours. Remembering that even a lot of people think anxiety is just a teenager thing. So we know that like 50% of adult mental illness, anxiety is the most common condition in our community mental illness-wise. One of the biggest causes of burden in terms of including in adults of dysfunction and hardship and kind of emotional difficulties is anxiety. It's really common in the community and it's a good example why over 50% of adult mental illness starts in childhood. But early childhood, like I'm not talking about, this is not 16, 17, 18-year-old problem anxiety. It starts early. So more about 7% of kids in primary school, including preschool, will meet clinical criteria for anxiety. It's huge. It's huge. A lot of kids show us early. So we've talked about like the little babies that are a bit inhibited and a bit sensitive and then the toddlers that kind of, you know, uh, not kind of, you know, taking chances and all that stuff. But then a really big time point where anxiety kicks in is when kids start going off to daycare and kinder. And I see lots of families that are struggling and when that's causing so much impact that there's distress and kids can't go and all those things, it, it gets classified as separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's a really one of the earliest times that we see separation anxiety because it's a primary caregiver. Really interestingly, as kids get older, anxiety changes. And remembering anxiety is a normal thing. You know, There's not many kids that start daycare and kinder and don't struggle to separate. And so that's a normal process. Just as when kids get into primary school, they worry about social anxiety. They worry about being accepted by their peers. They worry about performance anxiety. You know, am I going to be able to be, am I equal with my peers? How are they going to feel about me? And social anxiety is an interesting one because it's not, I'm anxious about how I'm going to feel. It's I'm anxious that other people will judge me. How they're going to feel towards you. Yeah, and how they're going to feel about me. And that's a really interesting way because it's a beautiful thing that kids as they get older develop empathy and an understanding. And we've talked about this, a theory of mind stuff on the podcast mm-hmm. about I can tell what Nick's thinking. But there's an interesting anxiety component that is I worry that Nick is thinking that I'm a loser, that I'm not very smart, that I'm not cool. And that's a that's a kind of another element of anxiety that comes in. So, so yeah, we've talked about the internalizing, kind of shutting down, withdrawing signs of anxiety. We've talked about kind of the, you know, angry, kind of hyperactive, you know, really distressed, really lashing out types. Mm. There's also a lot of kids will really struggle with their sleep and that can be the sign of anxiety and trouble falling asleep but also trouble waking up through the night can often be a symptom of anxiety that has nothing to do with depression. And that's, just, that's just the worst cycle. Yeah. Like once you can't sleep, you can't get rest, you become anxious, and then you get anxious, and you're not going to rest. It's the worst. Yeah. And then your anxiety is worse, and you know, yeah. you, you can't <laughs> kind of use a lot of the strategies that you're learning because you're just tired. Mm. And that kind of exhaustion is a really um, another symptom of anxiety is that daytime exhaustion and, and excessive fatigue and just feeling like I have no energy. So, kind of, is it chicken and egg? Like a parent that's not getting much sleep with a newborn becomes anxious? Probably anxious because they also don't know what they're doing. Like, you know, speaking bluntly, like when you have a newborn, you 
first time you don't really know what you're doing. Okay. Oh, in terms of, yeah, it's one of the really, it's the highest risk period of vulnerability for adult mental health is pregnancy and Post. um, yeah, postnatal period. And it's, I think it's about 30% of, of mums will experience some form of depression, which is huge. And what you're talking to is the influence of environment because there, there is kind of the component of the temperament, including of those mums, but the environment places so much stress that that anxiety kicks and all of the healthy functioning kind of processes in our mind that protect us from anxiety are less likely to be helpful when we're stressed. So something that I struggle with is this question, and mm-hmm. I've asked it before on the podcast, but if it's a first-time listener, they probably ask, might be thinking the same thing. What's the difference between depression and anxiety? Because when I think about the two, they're both crippling and horrible, but I don't know what exactly separates the two, to be honest. Yeah, I think a good way of thinking about those two things is anxiety is kind of fears and worries about the future, Mm -hmm. whereas depression is kind of a low mood and kind of almost hopelessness, and a lot of it is kind of reflecting on the past and feeling hopeless about the future. And that's kind of the key difference between depression and anxiety. Anxiety is almost like a heightened response to everything. And what a lot of kids that are doing... So depression, if you think of depression, and actually I think you said this in one podcast, is like just this really flat affect. And affect is like kind of how you are in your kind of behavior. So they're really flat, whereas anxiety is almost the opposite in that they're like they're actually really worked up. And the reason is, is because... With anxiety, kids are constantly scanning their environment and we know this through brain scans. The kind of fear responses, they're hypervigilant. They're looking everywhere for the tiger or the shark in the water. And what they're trying to do is prepare themselves in case they go around the corner and there's a tiger or in case they see a shark. They're primed. Yeah, so they're primed. They're kind of – they're trigger – to be anxious is just so easily set and that's the the big difference that we see and we'll do one on depression because it's a different topic no no but it's a really good question and we will also do one and on kind of the really severe scary end of depression and anxiety around kids that you know are thinking really negative thoughts about themselves and and things like self-harm because those are really important topics for us to cover on this podcast and not say no that's too tough but it is, it, it's really common. It also speaks to like one of the other really big parts that we see with especially younger kids who can't come and say, hey, mum, I'm What's anxious. younger kids? So I'm talking like primary school aged and pre-primary school aged, but cool. also teenagers do this too as well. Because one thing we talked about, I think, was that um, maybe aliens and um, that, was, that was the pandemic and then... Pandemic episode. And Terminator 2, responding to emotions. A big part of it is giving emotional literacy to our kids. So normalising and saying, like, it's okay to feel anxious about stuff and um, giving them a language they can use that identifies that. But a lot of kids, including teenagers, don't have that language. So often their anxiety comes through as headaches, tummy aches, you know, I'm my legs hurt, all of those things. And you're kind of thinking, it what what's going on with the tummy ache, what's going on with the headache and those type of things. So they're real, but they manifest they're 100% as real. They're, yes. 100% they're feeling real. a physical pain. Yeah, it's, but it's really important they're 100% real. So we used to call them some names that they're called somatizing symptoms now, but they used to like words like factitious and all of those things. And it's it was really awful because what happened is these kids either felt like, you know, they were just being silly or getting their symptoms dismissed when they were anxious. And we were saying, there's nothing wrong with your tummy. Or, you know, your legs are fine. And so some kids can become so anxious that they become really dysfunctional in that and they can't go to school. Like, you know, they can't, they struggle to walk around and all those things. Cause How early does it start? Oh, I can start early. We, we see like, you know, the, the amazing in 2015 Lawrence study that looked at uh, mental health across the entirety of Australian communities was four to 17 years of age. So we see like from four years of age, there can be difficulties that kids experience. But... The challenge that listeners and all of us have in the community that work in this space is when do I worry about it? When is it kind of anxiety that's normal versus anxiety that I I need to be stressed about? I'm asking for specifics because, not joking, because this week I've been dealing with a tummy ache and probably for the last two weeks from my four-year-old daughter and 
I don't think there's anything wrong with a tummy. Mm. And I have not addressed it probably the way you're saying that perhaps I could be looking at it. Well, so what do you reckon you should do? You, Shit. you got fellows quoting you in clinic, mate. So <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you think you should do? And you're really good at translating this stuff. Um, I, I think what I need to achieve, I've got to try and unpack what could be going on. I actually am frozen right now of what to specifically do, but it'll probably be sit with her. So in what I've done in all of them, I've comforted her. Perfect. So that I pick her up. I'm like, oh, you know, tummy, and we rub the tummy. And then it, it kind of seems to go away a bit. Mm. I'm trying to now think about specifically when she's mentioned it. Hasn't yeah. been just before daycares or anything, yep. to be honest. I actually can't remember. I think it's before going places, but I don't know why. I think oh, I'm starting to think of a few things, what it could be. Don't want to unpack it here in the episode because I don't think it's no, relevant but to everyone. Also, but don't, don't feel pressured to kind of solve it either. Like you're, you're right. You just comfort her and think about how she's going. Exactly like that's what we do in clinic. We think when, what times is it happening? Yep. The most important thing is like is it is when we're trying to decide is like how, how is this impacting them in their entire day, in their week, yeah. their month, you know, like – and that's the thing. And, you know, because we know, like, as we said at the start, internalizing is a really common symptom. You just don't want to be kind of seeing kids shutting down and dismissing it. Yep. And especially kids that were doing a lot of stuff that can't anymore. So you used to be able to go to school fine and can't anymore. But pandemic, I know we try to stay off it in this podcast and be timeless, but it is it has caused a really big increase in the amount of kids and adolescents in the community that are anxious and that's because there is this lack of certainty that has existed now that has dominated all of our lives and it has impacted our kids like and our, our teenage kids as well. Bit of a reveal. In the last fortnight, um, that pandemic episode you did on Aliens, I didn't tell you this. I went back and looked at the numbers. I love numbers. Um, it's still like categorically one of the most probably – like in the last fortnight, as far as podcasts go, I think it's probably the – fifth most most listened to one we've got and that was done in january yeah people are still seeking that so dealing with the outcomes of that which is going to be this anxious anxiety that you're talking about definitely and it, amazingly do you know that um so alien the first movie was mm-hmm. actually pitched with the tagline jaws in space and so that's how they pitched alien at the right. marketing pitch was jaws in space and the reason is because both of them are about anxiety and that fear of like not actually seeing the alien, not actually seeing the shark. And that's the thing that we can't go to these kids. There is no shark. You know, there is no tiger. You're fine. And when they are kind of struggling with those things that you think that's silly, like, what are you worried about that for? There's no way that's going to happen. We can't dismiss their feelings of anxiety and we have to acknowledge them. So just in that moment, mm-hmm. yeah, like practically – Mm. I'm not saying this is going to solve everything. Other than comforting, how? What's the language you might use around that? So, I've got a tummy ache, and I'm I'm thinking it's actually probably going to the swimming pool is actually where I'm trying to pinpoint it back to. My kid is fearful of going near the water, which is frankly healthy, and I'm happy with. Yeah. Um. But how do I? And I want to take it to the pool still because I want to teach how to swim. Mm-hmm. Um. How do I maybe potentially in that moment sort of deal with that? So, yeah, I mean, in the moment, you make sure that you're not – you try and find the, the sweet spot, and the good thing is it's not a really narrow band mm-hmm. um, of how you respond, but you don't kind of go, that's cool, honey, we'll never go to the pool again if you do get to the point where she articulates that what it is. But you also don't say, well, honey, the water's fine, jump in, you know. And so what you do is you do it gently, like, and don't be worried, oh, I've actually have said the water's fine, jump in. But just role model it, use Ronnie, like be in that environment. And, mm. you know, you tell that beautiful story like probably 20 episodes ago about going to the beach and, you know, that being a really positive experience for the girls. And yep. that's a good example of you didn't rush towards it and say, yep. get in the water. Like yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it's, you know, it's ankle no. deep. You, you let them and you guided them and you scaffolded that being a positive experience for them and one they felt safe in. It's really important. There's this amazing stuff, and we'll do a future episode on it, called um, Circle of Security. What Circle of Security talks about is that kids have this secure base. And if you think about the kid on the playground, when they, the first time they ever go to the playground, they're probably going to stick right to your side. Yep. Like arms reach. Totally. That's it. Now, every kid is different, but the more times you go to the playground, the more broadly they will explore the playground. 
Now, they might always need you to be in eyesight, but how far away from you they go and how frequently they check in on you by looking back at you over time becomes less and less and they explore more broadly. And the important thing about the playground is the whole world for kids. So what they need to do is feel secure that they can always come back and be safe. And that is a really helpful way of thinking about anxiety. Our kids explore the playground. They go further and further away from us when they feel safe and secure. They check in less and less with us as they get older. It's not because they're getting older in age. It's because they've had more and more opportunities to feel comfortable with some of the anxiety and having mechanisms that are more independent to support it. And they can always come back to us. And we see that, like what we're doing is setting kids up for independence so that some of that anxiety is okay. So they get to the point where they're like, I can go and stay a night at another kid's house. You know, I can go overseas on my own knowing I'll be safe. I'll check in, you know, via email or phone or whatever. And then I go and I explore a serious relationship on my own. I buy a house on my own. I go live in another part of the world on my own. And the, the people that do that really successfully have those really secure attachment bases from initially and almost dominatingly through their life from their primary caregivers and that's what you're doing for the girls and that's what i'm doing for evie i'm trying that's the most important thing about all this stuff Mm. it's really important they eat fruit and vegetables and it's really important they learn to read and all that stuff but them feeling safe and secure and then you know giving them good social and emotional development is the most important thing and the biggest predictor of success for kids when they become adults okay should we go to our We could, because I could do, yeah, bang. I thought we were about 10 minutes in. I was like, I've got another... <laughs> we're never 10 got minutes another in, three hours of content about anxiety. <laughs> I, know, so. I know, but as you've said, we yeah. are going to do more episodes on this topic. Today, we're just learning about it to start with. Um, yes. I yeah, so we've intentionally thing. stayed away from, like, treatment stuff, because we'll do separate episodes on that. But no, more than happy. And I guess to set the scene, this is um, this is the, the three guys in the boat... So um, we have Hopper, who you're going to hear at the start, who's been told he's been told to chum the water to try and get the shark near the boat. Yeah, chumming's throwing out basically fish guts. So yeah. it attracts the shark. Yeah, trying to get the shark. And then we've got the other two guys, the scientists. And, Dreyfus, yeah, yeah, Dreyfus and Quint um, yep. with him. So, yeah, maybe. And they've kind of realised the shark's in the water but haven't had a good look at it yet. Yep. All right, let's play it. Slow air hedge. I can go slow ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. I intentionally tried to speak to you through that scene because I don't love experiencing uh, the scene. It's sensational, but it just, it's, uh, oh, what a scene, the music. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing um, how well that scene fits as just audio. Yeah. And the reason is because of how amazing John Williams is, but the, it was, it's two notes. It's two notes and he created that. Really? And the reason is because he's, and everyone argues about which two notes it is, but there's, there's two notes that he's playing and how quickly they – so when there's a lot of space between them, it's kind of be be vigilant, sharks around, and then when it speeds up, it's the shark is coming. And you can almost think about it almost like what's going on in kids in terms of like their heart rate. They kind of have got this kind of like a increased pace that's going up and it's speeding up and they're looking around and going, there's got to be some danger around me. And if we think about that as like not going – 
uh, just, you know, just slow your heart down, you'll be fine, you know, is a really important bit of information for us to have around kids that are struggling with anxiety. It's such a physical response to something that's going on in the head. Yeah, and I, I mean, I feel years. it. I, I even hear that, and I'm sure if I had a heart rate monitor on that when that goes... Dum, 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 my heart is is pacing because I because it just it just really keys in for us and that's the that's the reason that that scene I think is a really powerful one because these guys have gone out there for that reason and they still experience that anxiety because of how big it is. Yep, and you can see the physical anxiety on Hopper as well. So you've got him backing back from the transom on the boat mm. to like the the sort of where they're steering the boat, the bridge. And he's speechless, backing back, and he's got the cigarette hanging out of the mouth, just off the lip, and he's like, and no one else knows what's going on. And the classic line is, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, yeah. Like the soul. So, and I um, I feel bad because I was going to say this, and you've just proven it right. It's one of the most misquoted movie lines in all time. He says, you're going to need a bigger boat. Oh, and yeah. everyone says, where? And it's quite interesting because Hopper's kind of sees himself as separate from that, and that's... That's the amazing thing about Hopper is people who might not remember the movie, he actually has a fear of water regardless of sharks. Like he's, he, it's not sharks he's afraid of. He's afraid of water where his wife even says he never goes for a swim. When we nope. get the ferry over here, he has to sit, sit in the, the car. car. Yep. So he has this real phobia of water and you know he's still able to go out there and do what's needed to be done because he doesn't have kind of clinical anxiety around that. He doesn't have a clinical phobia because he's able to function in that environment and it doesn't kind of overwhelm him. And we will, you know, get to the point in future episodes where we talk about why is it that Hopper or any of the other movies that I've got in my bank around anxiety, why is it that some kids are able to tolerate that and others aren't? And we see in this moment that, you know, they're all completely overwhelmed justifiably because like we said, there's an, you know, there is some real there's reason a real to danger. be anxious. There is yep. a real danger and kids can't, just telling kids there's no real danger, kids that have anxiety, is is not the way to fix it and say, mate, it's fine, there is no shark. Yeah, that that is the perfect example, that scene of like you can't talk someone down in that moment from yeah. that particular um, is it emotion they're feeling. Is, it emo- is anxiety an emotion? Yeah, definitely. And Labels think about it as like emotion. fears and worries. Yeah. You know, so yeah, f- fear and, and worry, worry is totally. the thing that we – when like a lot of things, and I think we've said it on the podcast before, what we see is the behavior, the kind of shutting down, the aggression, the anger, the kind of tummy pain or whatever. And if we can every time just think about this is an opportunity to connect with that child and an opportunity for me to think about what emotions are underlying that behavior. And often people will use like an analogy of an iceberg or something like that. But what we see above the surface is the behavior in anxiety, the emotions and feelings that are below the behaviour is fear and worry. And so that's what we see in this whole movie is there's this fear and worry. And often like the mayor, if people think back, the mayor is taking the dismissal avoidance. Doesn't exist. You know, there's I've got to I've got to run this town, we've got to make money. Another example of that is you've got to go to school, you know. Bad luck, daycare's a part of life. No, nah, you need to learn how to swim. That's the kind of dismissal, kind of avoidance of what's going on that the mayor just is the epitome of to the detriment of other people getting eaten by Jaws. Yeah. Uh, by Bruce, sorry. Just one thing I want to go back on what you said there, with like, which I liked is the behaviour. So the, the behaviour, it's not about like saying, often, I'm going to mince my words here, so you see the behaviour but it's actually the emotion underneath. So we've talked about this before, right? So it's it manifests through behaviour and mm-hmm. you've got to be careful not to label the behaviour of that kid's a little bugger or that kid's just a lot of bloody hard work or he's being a shit or whatever it is. Yeah. Because it's not that you've got to like look at what's actually going on for them, right? Underneath. Yeah. yeah. Like you did, think about like what scenarios is it happening in? How often do I see it? How well does this thing settle down when I come in and help? When does it come about? Yeah. It's a big one for me. It's like, why now? Yeah. Yeah, and we often think about with kids, like we it becomes kind of clinical anxiety when it's been six months, present for six months. But I think a lot of kids you can see, you know, that they haven't been able to attend school or they're not able to leave the house or they can't separate from mum. And yep. you can see that stuff that's happening sooner than kind of six months. Yeah, and I actually, I'll be honest, like I mix the, the, um, 
the diagnosis i'm like oh you've got a sore tummy she's historically got a bad stomach i'm like oh it's probably related to that like i don't see it you see the you hear the physical it's like i got a headache it's like oh she sconed herself or has she um you know got a sore neck which feels like a headache she just can't describe it like i always think about all the things that lead to the physical outcome but i never had really considered the the emotional yeah, I mean, it's good anytime, any anyway, just to learn and have it yeah. habitually checking in on kids yeah. emotionally, and then kind of doing it in a way that's not. And it, we talked about this at the start of the app about like, oh my god, are you okay? Like, and it, with the playground analogy, like, what's the first thing that a kid does when they fall down in the playground? and You're watching them. They always look up to you. Yeah, yeah. often before they decide how bad it was. Before they just, and they watch your reaction. Yeah. If you're like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. they'll, they'll blow up. Exactly, and it's the same. If we go into environments that they're anxious and go, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm guilty though. Obviously, I think every parent's guilty though of the kid. You see, you see them scone yourself. God, if it was me, I'd be like writhing on the ground. <laughs> but mm. you go, oh, you're all right, mate. You're all right. Dust it off. <laughs> but why is that? Because you don't want them to blow up. But how come that's your thought? Why do you, why are you not, oh, my God, I need to run to the hospital? Oh, probably because I'm being rational as well. Exactly. Like I'm the rational one in the situation that can yeah. probably make the call and go, oh, it's not that bad. But so also, you're the safe base. You're yeah. the safe, secure base they've checked back in on. Yeah, okay. And they've gone. And it's not about, remember we talked about, like, not always just going, you're okay. Mm. You know, when a child is struggling. But when you're talking about like a trip in a playground, it's not like a they're not anxious. Mm. They're just checking in and going, how bad was this? I'm not mm. sure yet. Mm. And then they turn around and say, actually, dad's all right about it. And there will still be times where the actual pain of what's happened or this, the shock of like falling is cannot be overpowered by your reassurance. But it's just a beautiful example of how kids, especially young, check in with us just constantly and they, their interpretation of the world is often assisted by us in both ways. Like if we're constantly anxious, and one of the biggest predictors of oh, anxiety in kids is having a parent with clinical anxiety. That doesn't mean parents out there that have clinical anxiety need to just go, well, my kid is doomed to have anxiety as well because some of the best parents that I've ever worked with and caregivers that I've ever worked with with kids who have anxiety are parents that have lived experience with it themselves. I'm going to ask you questions that you probably want to ask in the next answer in the next eps. Like, is it a something you get on top of and stay on top of? It's never quite gone. Is it resolvable anxiety? It's a great question. <laughs> definitely. So de- it definitely is not something that you go, cool. Yeah, I used to have anxiety, but I'm sweet now because I got it fixed by all the stuff we're going to talk about in the future. What we talk about is a big component of a lot of strategies is relapse prevention. Like Mm. how do we give skills? And you and I always talk about skills. Skills. How do we give skills for future situations, environments, things that you have to do that might also cause anxiety so that you are, you know, able to function and really thrive in those environments so that the next time something like the pool happens or, you know, you're in an environment that is anxiety-provoking, you are able to still experience that anxiety but tolerate it yep. and, you know, be able to tolerate it with, you know, specific things that we're going to talk about that skill kids up about it. So, yes, it is not kind of once it's fixed, you're fine, but it, and it's also not a face that kids need to be set with and that's why, it's why I do what I do because anxiety is a beautiful example of it. If we can catch these kids, I talk about kids shooting up flares we can catch these kids when they shoot flares up and yep. show us that they need help and we come in and help them and don't like, wrap them in cotton wool and don't like never put them in an environment that's going to cause anxiety again but identify it, work through and give them skills. Then they go out into the community even stronger and even more likely to thrive than a kid who's never gone through that process because yep. they have developed those skills to be able to overcome that and that's where I get so much of my strength from is these kids that have these amazing experiences that they go through and them and their caregivers and family and teachers and maternal child health nurses and everyone help them build the skills so that they're out there just, you know, knocking it out of the park. Yep. Riding the bumps. Mm. So it's well, amazing stuff. It is amazing stuff. Mm. <laughs> is. Um, I think we're getting a lot of questions this week. Had a lot of yes. questions last week and particularly questions the week before. So... For those of you that are listening for the first time, this is your opportunity to ask any questions today about anxiety and children. I think you've gone through and given people enough this week 
to go away to help maybe identify what it might look like in their kids. And I think that's going to be the most interesting one for me personally will be trying to identify it uh, and understand some symptoms and see if I can catch some of that stuff and I'm going to report back. So I'll have that radar on. So I'll come back in with some sort of like how I've seen it or how it's worked. Maybe turn a couple of those Griswolds into some, uh, maybe just some dead rubbers, just like uh, square it. Might not be Winslow's, but we can sort of turn them around. So that's what I'm going to focus on this week. Um, But I think it's been really cool, Billy. So thanks very much for that run through. Uh, For everyone else, again, um, I'm going to start looking down. I've got the new camera there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Questions, best way to ask us questions is via Instagram, um, doing it via pop culture parenting, slide into the DMs, ask us questions there, answer the polls. All questions are anonymously answered. We don't mention who has asked it. So feel free to be as frank as you want. It doesn't go beyond Billy and I. We're the only ones that read it. Um, And then we bring it in and we answer those questions. And I almost guarantee we get the same question each week twice. So someone else is always out there thinking the same thing or wanting to ask the same thing. So don't be scared to ask it. And if you don't and aren't on Instagram, just email us at popcultureparenting at gmail. We'll pick up those questions and answer them in part two, which will be a week from this episode, um, sometime early next weekend. Yeah, I'll probably see you ten times. It's it's 8 o'clock now on Saturday morning as we start to wrap up, so that's lovely. Um, But, yeah, thanks, Billy. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Nick. Just use your best judgment.